Okay, I want to welcome everybody to a uh, subscribers-only conference call. My name is Franco Ferrado. I'm the co-founder of PropMoto, and uh, I am lucky enough to have uh, Vinay Goel. He's a chief uh, digital product officer at JLL, uh, along with his colleague, Ravi Merchandani. I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, he's the head of digital products engineering, also at JLL. And uh, we are really happy to to set this up. You know, uh, I recent I wrote about uh, Vinay's uh, starting to work for JLL, coming from Google, and um, it was actually one of our highest uh, highest read articles in, in the last couple months. So, uh, obviously, a lot of you out there are very interested to hear, um, you know, what JLL is doing. And I think uh, these two are probably the two foremost people to uh, to kind of walk us through that. So. Uh, you know, I'd definitely like to start out with uh, with you, Vinay. When I first uh, when we first talked, you had just been hired. I think you were a couple couple days into the job, so uh, you really didn't uh, didn't have much much experience yet. But now that you've been been working on stuff, maybe you can uh, kind of bring us up to speed with uh, what you've what you've learned and uh, what you've been working on at, at JLL. Sure. Um, thanks, Franco. It's uh, appreciate uh, getting the time and the ability to uh, be on this podcast. So you're right. Uh, when I think we spoke last, it was just I was a couple of weeks into the job. Now it's been about five months, and we've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, with customers, with partners, understanding pain points, understanding what kind of opportunities there are, and maybe you know, in the simplest ways, there's really two things that customers care about the most. Uh, one is how can they uh, essentially drive cost savings, leveraging data, analytics, and insights. And uh, today we find that customers are spending a lot of time collating and understanding their data. Uh, the data ingestion uh, is slow. It does not happen in real time. Uh, there's a lot of customization that's involved, which makes it expensive to get insights and make decisions and run and operate your business efficiently. So that's one big pain point is just around how do you leverage your data. Um, the second one is uh, in a market like the one we have been in for the last several years, um, trying to attract and retain talent has been a big challenge. And especially when these companies are competing with Silicon Valley and other types of things where you, know, you have perks, you have amenities, you have a bunch of different technologies at work, uh, how do you essentially get the rest of the world on that same track that you might see the Googles and the Facebooks and the LinkedIn's on? So really our goal between Ravi and I is to try and help fix these kinds of pain points by leveraging state-of-the-art technology, whether it's cloud, BI, machine learning, you know, building mobile apps, that is not just focused on facilities managers and CRE execs, but essentially can touch every employee in the organization. So really those are our key focuses and that's been sort of our learning so far very interesting um you know i think it's it's uh, I, I found out before the call that uh that ravi and vinay actually knew each other and with their their time in in india and i think that's a an interesting side note to this that people would like to learn and um you know i guess i I was kind of wondering because both of you come from a very uh, hard tech background, Vinay from Google and Robbie from Oracle and other things. You know, how do you evaluate these new products? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of opportunity out there, but you're probably uh, using some sort of metrics to figure out what what are 
the most important metrics and, and you know, how, how do you solve them? So maybe, Ravi, you could uh, talk a little bit about that. You know, just to add to what Vinay said, you need to do a lot of due diligence with your clients to try to understand what problems uh, they're facing so that we can essentially build or design products that marry their uh, most critical needs to the technologies that we uh, uh, would like to, uh, to offer to them. Uh, and it's basically what value, it's, it's all around the value that our products can provide. The things that deter them today from getting insights in a timely manner, to get real-time insights, machine learning, or, uh, or provide their clients or their, or their uh, occupants with a much better experience of, of uh, inhabiting an office. Uh, those are the kind of things that we look for. And essentially, it's, in the end, value, right? I mean, if you, if you build products that don't provide value to the clients, they're not going to adopt it. And, uh, you know, having come from product companies, this is kind of second nature to us. And it's, you know, uh, in every company, you get evaluated. Did you build a, did you build a revenue pipeline? But, was their uh, sustained revenue growth? I think these are the things that we uh, have to be cognizant of as we uh, build products. And I think maybe I'll add to it. Um, you know, a lot of times what we do is your traditional SWOT analysis, right? Your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And, and what you really need to figure out is does your company or your team bring a unique insight, or whether it's technical or business or distribution, um, that you can lever really leverage off so that you don't commoditize what you're building and 10 other people can't build it exactly the same way that you're building mm -hmm. it, it to market the same way you're building it. So I think that becomes really important. So once you focus on your customer pain point, you focus on the unique insight that you bring to the market, and then what you really need to focus on is that you're not building this for three customers or 10 customers, but tens of thousands of customers. So the way you architect something um, you know, can it be architected so that you're not trying to essentially customize each and every installation, but what you build scales infinitely in that sense. Um, beyond that, you know, all the stuff that Ravi mentioned around having a business case and having some hurdle rates. You know, at Google, you know, our focus always used to be if you're building a new product, how do you take it and will it scale to a billion users? If, you, if it can't, then are you sure this should be built within Google, right? Those were the questions that you should get asked. And I think every company is going to have their own hurdle rate, and JLL would think about it in the same way. Very interesting. Yeah, a billion people, that's, uh, those, are, those are lofty goals, but such as Google, I guess. Um, and so after doing this, uh, yeah, yeah uh, you know, after doing this research and, and looking at the landscape, I mean, what, what kind of unexpected things did you see, and, and what do you guys think that uh, you're really going to be, be focusing on in, in these, this near term? I, I can go and maybe Ravi can yeah. add, but yeah. uh, I think one of the things that have been pleasant surprises for us, or many of them have been pleasant surprises, is just that JLL has uh, what I'd call a treasure trove of data and a great source of institutional knowledge. I mean, we've been doing this for 100 years, and there's just so much here. So as I think about building like machine learning models and making products intelligent, a lot of that training data and that institutional knowledge comes really, really handy. So that was great to kind of come in and just say, hey, there's so much here that we can leverage. Um, the second thing is I'd say, you know, CRE, uh, you never imagined, but it's actually pretty sexy. 
uh, ever since we've gotten in here, uh, and maybe it's thanks to like the articles that you guys have been writing, we've been getting a lot of outreach, uh, you know, both from people who want to partner with us, but a lot of people that want to be part of this journey with um, JLL. So we're actually getting a lot of inbounds in terms of saying you'd want to work with us, and we're competing against, you know, the tech companies in the Valley uh, for this talent. So it's been great that, you know, we've been able to attract talent and bring people on board uh, in this highly competitive world. Uh, maybe you can add. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, just to add one more point, I mean, I didn't realize, so CRE is sexy, it's like I never would have thought that, but it is actually uh, turning out to be the case. If you look at the number of startups that we stumble against, you know, people who are starting companies focused on on the, on the real estate market, on making uh, the, you know, the life of people who inhabit these office, offices much more attractive and much more pleasant, that, that seems to be uh, a thing these days, and uh, I didn't realize that until I uh, joined JLF to see how, how pervasive this is becoming, because I think this is the next frontier uh, for uh, Tech. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have used the word sexy, but I guess I see where you're going. It definitely seems to be coming into, um, you know, more of the eye of the, the average person and not necessarily the uh, just the CRE professional. Um, I think some of it has to do with, Vinay, what you were talking about, where it's become such, uh, especially on the office side, right, there's such a demand for top talent that uh, really, really building Building spaces is um, is a very important part of that, and, and finding productivity and, and creativity. You know, I'd love for you guys because I think JLL is such an interesting company. Most people kind of consider them a brokerage, but when you really dive into it, uh, they're much more than that. Uh, I think, as far as I understand, uh, much of their your revenue comes from managing spaces and, and designing spaces as, as much as the brokerage. So. Yeah, I'd love for you guys to talk a little bit about um, what what you see as the future of this kind of office space workspace. I think not only do you have a lot of great experience uh, because of your time at JLL already, but you know both of you have run large teams of very sophisticated uh, individuals that are building big products. So, you know, maybe you could uh, talk a little bit about what you see as you know the future of work as a big big talking point for JLL and. I'd, Love to hear more, more about what uh, what you what you see as the future of work. Yeah, I mean, I think it again goes back to I pivot back to those two points that we started with, which is, you know, you have to kind of think about it from uh, different angles. One is the people who are offering a work environment, and then the second who are consuming the people who are consuming that work environment. So, from a future of work perspective, there are a lot of decisions that, say, a facilities manager or a CFO might need to make in terms of the kind of environment they want to provide to their employees. And there's a lot of automation that happens along that way, right, which is, you know, do you actually start doing smart buildings? Uh, and the smart buildings mean, you know, you don't need to badge in and badge out. You know, people recognize when you're in. There's a bunch of sensors that understand occupancy planning and can, uh, you know, uh, give you alerts and or automate sort of, you know, when the janitors come in and when they don't just based on a sensor which says, oh, it's time to clean the bathroom, as opposed to having a fixed schedule. Um, so there's a lot of these types of things which could lead to cost savings, uh, using technologies like AR and VR to explore sort of new spaces without having to travel, making decisions based on 
you know, things like proximity to transit and uh, restaurants and walk scores and all of those things, you can do a lot of these things digitally without even having to visit a specific space. So there's a lot of things that we, I think the future of work is going to bring for decision makers. For the other audience, which is really the employees who are consuming space, it's about how do you, there are two things, right? One is how do you empower people to think of work as more of an extension of their daily lives? And this is something that I've talked about several times that, you know, today I feel like the innovation that you find in the workspace has been lagging that you find, you know, at home or as a consumer product, right? At home you, you're fully empowered in terms of how you control the temperature of your house or, you know, how you use Amazon or Google devices like the Echo or the Assistant in terms of being kind of your personal assistant, uh, uh, you know, in what you do in your daily lives. Whereas when you come to work, you're forced to deal with a bunch of different types of portals. The SLAs in terms of response times is different. So trying to automate those types of functions, trying to bring that same experience that you have as a consumer into the workplace, to me is is driving that whole future of work, which is what I'm saying. You know, it's like how do you enable people to work the way that they live? And and I think there's a lot of technology is going to play a big role, like it has on the consumer side, on the enterprise side as well. Very very interesting. And I, I totally agree with you. And I think some of that has to do with, with cultural changes, right? I think the whole idea of kind of going to the office nine to five and clocking out, I, I think that's changing, right? I think people are integrating work into their lives in a much more profound way. Um, obviously, there's good good and bad to that, right? People hopefully love what they do, but then there is a little bit of a not not being able to disconnect feeling that I think a lot of people might get with this uh this change but i think that's a it's an important thing for for jll to to be considering you know one of the things i think is so fascinating about technology is that you're really everyone is building things trying to aim at a moving target right so you are obviously building products with the data that we have today but you know talk to me about how you think that this is going to change and, and do you guys keep that in mind right we have 5g maybe around the corner you know there's a lot more kind of geospatial um, data that will likely uh, be incorporated soon so um, what are you guys looking at for the future and and how do you think that will change the the products that you're developing so i can take that for a little bit uh so one of the things that we uh recognized over the uh, time that we've been here is that, you know, the CRE space has been somewhat, a little bit slow in moving to some of the newer technologies, especially around the cloud. And, you know, while there has been some movement there, you know, we have tried to dramatically increase the momentum on that front. And the reasons for that are the following, right? I mean, a lot of the innovation that's occurring in software and technologies uh, is directed towards the cloud. Uh, on-prem technologies are somewhat laggards uh, at this point in time. And what the cloud allows us to do is to ride the technology curve uh, in a very seamless manner at relatively low, with relatively low friction. And, uh, you know, we can ingest large volumes of data. Uh, we can ingest data at, at high speed, at, at low latency. And, and the sets of tools and technologies that are provided today in the cloud, and they will continue to improve, 
uh, just permits us or allows us to build the kind of insights and technologies and solutions for our clients that were not possible in the recent past. So those are some of the things that would just, you know, uh, open the floodgates as far as uh, we believe uh, uh, with regard to the kind of solutions that we can continue to provide to our clients. Uh, and uh, I think that's, that's kind of one of the big enablers. Uh, and Vinay, I don't know if you want to ask anything. Yeah, I'm just going to say that I, I think the rate of change and the pace of change of technology has been so fast. And, um, you know, cloud is now, what, more than a you know, 10, 15-year-old technology. And a lot of some of the industries are just now adopting it. But then you start thinking about machine learning and AI and blockchain and IoT and all of those types of things. And it seems like, you know, you would do a disservice to your customers if you weren't adopting these things much faster. Because they're not just technology for technology's sake, but they really do provide a ton of new cost savings, productivity, insights that help you operate and drive your business. And so a lot of what we are going to be focused on is how do you leverage these technologies at the scale um, to drive those kinds of insights and applications that our customers really need on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think, you know, whether it's 5G or some of the other sounds that you mentioned, Franco, I think those are uh, very critical for us to sort of get on board with. Sure. Sure, and it seems like, I mean, we're only going to have more more data, not less at this point, right, as more sensors get installed, as, as more things get integrated with mobile um, I mean, what do you guys kind of see as the 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 holy grail? What's what is the next step of hey, one, if we ever got this data, this would really uh, bring our products to to the next level? Yeah, I think that um, sometimes it's hard for human beings to imagine what that next thing in the whole holy grail is, which is where I think machines come in, right? If if you've collected you know these terabytes and petabytes of data that that are streaming in from how your facilities are getting used and what's happening with the different assets and machines in your in your environment, um, I think machines will have a much better way of just ingesting these data and coming up with the insights that, and those might be the things that are the holy grail that we haven't even quite figured out, right? So, so today what we're doing is we're ingesting this data, we're storing it, we're kind of plumbing in insights that our customers are asking for but I think the next step now is things that we haven't even quite imagined. Like imagine if, you know, you had five projects that are running over budget or they're running late. And, you know, you might say, hey, something's running late. But you may have 40 different vendors behind each one of those projects. And it's because of one or two vendors that are actually causing the delays and the overruns. It's very hard for humans to figure that out, but machines can, right? So can you actually leverage um, all of the data science and, and machine learning and all of those things today so that you just dump the data and the machine tells you what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. I think that, that's the kind of insights and the holy grail, which is, um, you know, the key thing is just architecting your pipelines in a way that these types of auto automation are possible. And, and I think that's what we're basically doing. And so you guys have, uh, you know, data scientists looking at this now. Is that what you think um, is going to be the future? Obviously, big data sounds cool, but it, it is a lot more work kind of parsing through it. So 
Um, yeah, is that, is that something that you guys are working on? It should be less work. I mean, again, when you let machines do the task, you just point them in the right direction. It should not be more work, and that's the whole point of yeah. getting the architecture right. Yeah, and basically the, the the state of the art continues to improve. The tooling continues to improve, and you know it's it's not like it was ten years ago. You had you know to bring in data in an Excel spreadsheet and do the calculations. There's so many more technologies available that make the job of a machine learning or a data scientist uh, uh, a lot more easy today than it used to even be a couple of years back. So mm -hmm. uh, the ability to consume data at high volume and then to visualize the results and to, to, do, the, to, to do kind of the, the calculations, uh, run, run the algorithms through, uh, is a lot more uh, seamless now than it was a few years back. And it continues to get better. Which is why you really need to embrace the cloud and the big data technologies and the analytic frameworks that are coming in, you know, via startups and some of the larger companies like Amazon and Google and Microsoft. I think if you embrace it, you're just going to be on that curve right. um, to, to leverage all of the innovation that's happening in the industry. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I think, I mean, people like you are so important to the property industry because I think we're getting to a point where, the average property professional who is an expert in running a property, um, you know, is, is not a data scientist and doesn't have, have these tools. So hopefully people like you are, are building these uh, very user-friendly tools that people like me that uh, don't, don't know how to do all this, um, you know, heavy, heavy lifting in the data side can, can easily use. You know, we have a we have a question coming in from a caller, which I think is very pertinent. They're wondering how um, how you interface with JLL Spark. Uh, for those of you that don't know, JLL Spark is kind of the uh, technology investment arm of JLL, and they've made some some big moves recently. I'm wondering, you know, the the question of to build or to buy is obviously uh, central to any company looking at technology, and it seems like JLL is kind of doing both simultaneously, but how, how do you interface with those guys, and, um, you know, is, is there a lot of uh, collaboration between the, the two uh, arms of the organization? Yeah, we're definitely uh, collaborating. So if I were to think about CRE and the tech and the innovation that's happening, there's just so much white space out there, and it's impossible for JLL to essentially say we're going to go build everything in-house. So, um, so while Ravi and I are essentially building sort of in-house technology that we would take to market, the goal of JLL Spark is really to invest like, you know, an incubator or a venture capitalist might in areas that we think are super promising. And, and you know, you should look at their website. They've already made several uh, investments in sort of companies that can help with, you know, evaluating pricing or insurance and a uh, mm -hmm. bunch of other areas as well. And so think of them as kind of the VC arm that, uh, that invests in promising companies, but we can then help those companies go to market leveraging our client relationships, our distribution, and even uh, maybe have some synergies from a product perspective in terms of integration. Whereas what we're doing in terms of Ravi and I is we're picking and choosing very specific products that I think we will leverage internal data or, or leverage sort of key talent bases that we might have to take to market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 
it makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because they are kind of different different values, right? Building something in house, you can really focus on exactly the pain points you want. Whereas uh, buying buying a technology from outside, you can bring in kind of new innovative ideas that you might not have even have even thought of before. So um, yeah, I think I think that's fascinating. I mean, I, I guess I'm still a little bit uh, curious about. You know what? Uh, what exactly you guys are working on currently, and um, you know how how these products you feel like are are going to roll out, right? Are they going to be on the brokerage side, on the management side, and uh, and 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 how are they gonna are they gonna look when they when they finally come? Uh, I can start. Maybe Ravi can add. I, I think you know a lot of what we're thinking about is trying to think through those same hurdle rates that you know we talked about earlier in this call which is can we build technologies that are um, you know that would be applicable to whether it's you know not a billion users maybe that's a really high threshold but in the tens or hundreds of millions of users uh, or have you know significant sort of market uh, white space for us to tackle and so I think those are the kinds of things that we would do. Um, these types of products could be both on the brokerage and market side. It could also be very much on the what we call, you know, operational facilities management, employee productivity side. So it's across the board, really. And um, we're trying to sort of pick our bets based on what we're hearing back from our users and our and our customers, and honing in. Like you know, we're think of us as really a startup uh, within JLL. Uh, we're building sort of our engineering muscle, bringing people like Ravi and a few other folks in, and and so there's only so much capacity we have in terms of what we can build, and that's why we're mm-hmm. being fairly picky in terms of the opportunities and focusing on some of the very large spaces out there. Yeah, there's absolutely uh, no shortage of problems that need to be solved, so uh, you guys definitely have your work cut out for you. Um, I was wondering, you know, is uh, JLL is is a international, you know, very global firm. You know, do you see that some of these problems or the solutions are different uh, region to region, or or do you think that a lot of these are, uh, you know, are you building products that are basically going to be global and and adopted uh, across the board? Yeah, I think the the problems that we are trying to address uh, have universal applicability. Uh, you know, as Vinay mentioned, we, if we want to improve the productivity of, uh, of inhabitants in a particular office, I think that problem needs to be addressed across every country where people, you know, come into an office but, you know, lack some of the, the conveniences that they are used to in their personal lives in terms of how they interact with their, with their smart homes and, and the devices that they have access to. You know, oftentimes not available in uh, in most offices. How do we provide that kind of high level of interaction with an engagement with employees so that their satisfaction, uh, you know, becomes paramount uh, in in engagement in, in a company? And I think those things are universal. We don't believe that anything that we build today is uh, confined to the U.S. or North America. I think it's. Uh, they should be that every country will probably have its own specificity. Of course, there's language variants. Uh, there may mm-hmm. be some, you know, specific data requirements and security best practices that that may differ across different geos. You know, Europe has its own uh, nuances around data privacy and security. So we have to adhere to all of that. 
But as far as the fundamental premise is concerned, I don't believe that there's anything unique to North America. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit before this call, and, you know, we have a lot of international readers, and I think that really goes to show that a lot of these concepts and a lot of these uh, solutions are really solving global problems, you know, that, that everybody has. I think there is a little bit of specific uh, nuance by region, but for the most part it does seem I tend to agree with you. So, you know, I, I kind of, uh, before we go, I'd love to put you guys on the spot a little bit. Um, if either, both of you could make predictions of uh, what you think both technology-wise and in the property industry is going to happen in, in this coming year. You know, what, what are some of the things that we're going to see that uh, that people might not be, be expecting? I, I think that at the fundamental level, um, enterprise software has not changed significantly. I mean, the email systems that I was using 15 years ago, if I were to just put them against what I'm using today, I, I don't know if I'll notice a difference. Um, <laughs> same with the CRM systems, and I feel like this industry in general has been slow. So I wouldn't necessarily say CRE versus not, but I, I view kind of as you think about the future of work, it's all about how do you make employees more productive and space is one piece of it. Uh, and I think there, there's enough innovation that can happen from the CRE space into enterprise software that uh, essentially could create new categories of enterprise, uh, a new enterprise software categories, right? And I, and I would predict that, you know, if you think about what people use for messaging and email and all of those types of things, I think you're going to see some rapid and drastic transformation happen over the next five years. And it's going to be driven because of the need of how people interact with their surroundings and the people uh, that, that live within those surroundings. But it's kind of high level, but uh, it, it, I think yeah. that, you know, enterprises themselves are going to go through a massive transformation. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of already on the tipping point, so I, I definitely tend to agree with you there. Ravi, you got uh, you got a prediction for me? Yeah, I think it's just to continue along the same way. And it, you know, if you look at the innovation that has occurred in tech, you know, the, some of the some of the most dramatic uh, ones have occurred on the consumer side. And you know, enterprise has sort of been a laggard. And how do we how how quickly will we start seeing that consumer uh, based enhancements, you know, find their way into the enterprise. And I think that's, uh, that's that to me, that would be uh, icing on the cake, you know, where you can basically come into the office and you have access to tools and technologies and capabilities that are much more modern than uh, an office environment uh, uh, currently provides. And I think that the, it's, it's a reversal, right? It's in the Internet and the Internet companies have been a lot more uh, innovative in this regard, even as far as user interfaces are concerned, the, the, you know, enterprises mm -hmm. have been laggards. And how do we make that? How do we make that transition? I think you're seeing the beginnings of that already. So you know, you think about the residential markets now. Almost every new home comes with a bunch of IoT devices, whether Correct. it's just thermostats or security alarms or locks and those types of things. And uh, at least on the brokerage side now, as we think about buildings, new buildings coming online or being renovated, 
they're all coming on as smart buildings, right? And these are smart buildings that have a bunch of sensor technologies that, whether it's coming from your HVAC systems or your coolers or in your badge readers and your Wi-Fi systems, they're all being, you know, much, much smarter. And with that comes with, uh, you know, comes a lot of data. Uh, and then that data can be leveraged to essentially increase the comfort, the productivity of your employees. So I think you're going to see this, this transition that over time, more and more of uh, the underlying platforms uh, in buildings are going to get much more sort of advanced and modern, which will drive some of the software layers on top of that to then leverage those things to uh, improve the productivity like we talked about. Well, I think uh, that's a great place to wrap. I really appreciate you guys talking with me. I had a great time, and I think I uh, learned a lot. Hopefully our subscribers did too. Um, I know that uh, all of you are busy, both you too, Ravi, and everybody out there. So I just want to uh, thank you all again for your time. And, um, yeah, it's been, been, a, been a great afternoon, and hopefully this isn't the last time we get to talk, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks so care. much. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye now, guys.